0: Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple of things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our you church. Show us
1: once again. Thanks for checking out this learning. sermon. Please so, let us know if there's any the questions heart heart you, heart you have or any way Would we, we, we really can come all all alongside, alongside you and your family. Jesus. Enjoy Lord the Lord. message. Amen.
0: Amen. Love you
1: We are thankful for the Milligan family at Hope. Amen. 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 What a blessing they are.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, it's New Year's. Almost 50% of Americans in the last week have made a New Year's resolution of some sort or some fashion. I don't know how many of you would be honest enough to admit it, but if the statistic is true, about every other person here has made some kind of a New Year's resolution in the last week. So how many of you would admit it and say, Yeah, I'm one of those. I made a New Year's resolution. Right, yep, about 50% it looks like. About half the hands are going up. New Year's resolutions are an interesting thing. I looked up some research on them. If you look back to 2014, here are the top five New Year's resolutions in 2014. Now, see if some of these sound like something that you have done this year. Number one, Lose weight. Yep, that's one a lot of people pick, right? Number two, get organized. Number three, spend less, save more. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. And number five, stay fit and healthy. Those were the top five New Year's resolutions in 2014. Any of those ring a bell with something that you've resolved to do in the last few days, right? Those kind of seem to be a recurring theme of New Year's resolutions. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. So I looked up the definition of the word resolution. Here's the definition of the word resolution. The act of resolving. I don't know about you, that didn't help me at all. I mean, when you define a word with a word, that's not very helpful. But if you look it up in the dictionary, that's exactly how they define resolution, the act of resolving. So I dug a layer deeper and looked up the word resolve in the dictionary. Here's the definition of the word resolve on the screen. To make a definite and serious decision to do something. So, if we take that as the definition of resolve... And resolution is to, to, to do this, to make this definite and serious What's happened over the last week, if we go by the definition, is people have made a definite and serious decision to do something very different in 2015 from the way they did that thing or practice in 2014. The sad reality is, According to the University of Scranton Journal of Clinical Psychology, only 8% of people will be successful this year in achieving their New Year's resolution. So there goes the definite and serious decision, right? Matter of fact, they tell us that only 25% of the people make it out of the first month with their New Year's resolution still intact. A definite and serious decision to do something different and yet only 8% of the people are going to stick with it. Well, what if, what if today you could resolve to accomplish something in 2015 that I could guarantee you to be successful? What if this morning, in this moment, in this place, you and I could resolve? To do something in 2015 that we could know for certain we could accomplish. Well, I want to tell you this morning, we can. And I want to lead you through an exercise. This morning's message is going to be a little different from how we normally unpack something. But I think it's going to be really impactful for us as we look at it together today. If you have your Bible, open it to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a community of believers in a city called Philippi. And in this letter, he opens it right out of the gate at the end of the first paragraph by saying this in verse number 6, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Look what he said. Paul said, for I am, say the next word out loud. That's pretty weak. We're going to do it again. For I am, say the next word out loud. Confident. Confident. Here's what Paul is basically saying. I know this for sure. It's as if he's saying, there's a lot of stuff I don't know for sure, but I'm about to tell you something that I know for sure. I am confident of this very thing that he who began A good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, there's a lot I'm not sure about, but let me tell you one thing I am sure about. God began something in you at the moment of salvation. And I know for sure God will finish what he started. Now, flip over one page in this letter to chapter 2, verse 13, and he tells us when God is doing this. Look what it says. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That little phrase, at work in you, in the Greek language is in the present active tense. Now, here's why that's significant. It's describing something that is an ongoing, continuous action. Here's what Paul is saying. At the moment of salvation, whenever that was for you, be that last week at Christmas Eve, one of our services, you came to know Christ, or in the last 12 months, you've come to know Jesus here in our services, or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years and years. Whenever you became a follower of Christ, at the moment of salvation... God began a work in you, conforming you to the image of Jesus. And here's what Paul says. He is constantly at work, finishing what he started. Moment by moment, day by day, every situation in your life, Every circumstance in your life, the mountaintops and the valleys, the transitions, all of it. Paul says, I know this for sure. God began something in you at the moment of salvation. God is going to finish what he started. And in 2015, every moment of every day, in every situation, God is continuously at work in you. Finishing that which he began. If that's good news for you, say amen. Amen. Listen, that's good news. One of my writers, authors, you know I love him. I've talked to you about him many times and I've given you this quote many times. His name is Major Ian Thomas. He describes the Christian life like this. Look at this on the screen. The Christian life is nothing less than the life which he lived then lived now by him in you. Here's what that means. God is conforming me to the image of Jesus. That doesn't mean so that I can just act like Jesus. The Christian life is not you and me trying to live for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living His life. In and through us. And listen to me. That is not just semantics. That is the difference in real Christianity and a pseudo version of Christianity that's just religion of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. You've not been invited into a relationship to perform for God. God began something in you. And He's conforming you to the image of Jesus so that what comes out of my life is literally Christ in me. Now that raises a big question. What does that look like? I mean, that sounds really spiritual. Sounds really wonderful. The life of Jesus being lived out through me. Well, what does that look like? Well, when we started this fellowship in 2001, God had called us here to birth this new church. God was at work, invited us to get in on it. When we came here to start this new church, that's one of the questions that the pastors early on we began to wrestle with. God, what does it look like to live the life of a Jesus follower? Because our mission was to make disciples, and so we needed to know what does a disciple look like. So let me tell you what we did. We spent the first year examining the Gospels together, to try to understand what does Jesus' life look like. Because if the Christian life is the life he lived then, lived now by him and me, then I need to know what it looked like then. So we took the Gospels and we spent a year just poring over them. Now, I don't recommend that you do this, but here's what we came to the conclusion of. That the life of the Jesus follower is all about, the life of Jesus in the Gospels is all about relationships. You could take every story in the Gospels You could take a pair of scissors and you could cut out every story in the gospel and you can drop every story in the gospel into one of three file boxes. Again, don't recommend that you physically do it, but you could. I do recommend that you take the gospels, get you a notepad, and go through and challenge this theory that I'm giving you this morning. You read it and discover it for yourself. Every story in the gospels which describes the life of Jesus falls into one of three file boxes. Box number one. It's Jesus and his relationship to the Father. Jesus lived his life out of the overflow of intimate fellowship with the Father. So much so that Jesus said this. Jesus said, when you see me at work, it's not my works. It's the Father's works in me. He said, when you hear my words, it's not my words. It's the Father's words in me. Think of all the stories in the gospel that we could drop into this file box. Think of in the early early pages of the gospel of Luke, before Jesus began his public ministry. He goes out for 40 days into the wilderness to do what? To be alone with the Father. Knowing the mountain of ministry that was ahead of him, he needed to be alone with the Father. Before Jesus called His 12 disciples. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus stayed up all night praying with the Father before selecting those 12 disciples. Go forward to the end of the Gospels in John. John 17. John chapter 17 is one of the most amazing chapters in all the Bible. You know what John 17 is? It is God inviting us into a conversation that took place on the eve of the crucifixion between God the Father and God the Son. We're invited behind the veil of the Trinity to hear an intimate conversation between the Father and the Son. That's the entire 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. All these stories, Jesus and His relationship with the Father, dropped in this first file box. But that's not the only one. The second one is Jesus and His relationship with the disciples. Think of all the stories in the Gospel that you could drop into this box. You see, Jesus lived his life out of the overflow of intimacy with the Father, but that led him into deep fellowship with the disciples. Remember when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm comes and the disciples all in panic mode, they wake Jesus up and here's their question, Lord, do you not care? You know your perspective is wrong when you're asking Jesus if he cares, right? Lord, don't you care that we're perishing here and Jesus calms the storm. He calms the winds. He brings everything back to normal. And he looks at them and says, Oh, you have little faith. He's with his disciples and he's teaching them. John 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the abiding life by talking to them about the vine and the branches. Remember when he fed the 5,000 in the Gospel of Mark? When Jesus fed the 5,000, he didn't do it. What did he do? He put it into the hands of his disciples. Jesus lived his life in Intimacy with the Father, but it spilled into fellowship with the disciples. But that's not the only two relationships. There's a third one. Jesus and his relationship to the world. People that didn't know God at all. Think of all the stories in the gospel that we can drop into this file box. Nicodemus. Zacchaeus. The woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. All the stories where Jesus is engaging and relating to people that don't know God at all. He did it so often that they called him the friend of sinners and they did it to ridicule him. Because he was so engaged and connected with people that didn't know God at all. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus' life was lived in relationship with the Father that spilled into fellowship with his disciples and allowed him to engage with people that didn't know God at all. Everything about the Gospels fits into one of these three file boxes. You do the research. You read it yourself. It all falls right here. So here's the premise. If that's what his life looked like then, and the Christian life is not me living for Jesus, but it's the life he lived then, lived now by him in me, What is it going to look like in 2015 for you and me? Intimacy with God that spills into fellowship with other believers and engages in God's mission in our city and around the world for His glory. That's what it looks like. At Hope, we use three words to unpack it. First word is abide, abiding in Christ. Personally and daily, you and I are to follow the model and example of Jesus in living our lives. Here's the reality. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, He'll do out of the overflow of His relationship with you. That makes this primary. You see, God has not called you into a religion Listen to me. Christianity is his invitation into a relationship. And everything he desires to do through you, he does out of the overflow of this relationship. So abiding in Christ personally and daily. You see, having a quiet time, a devotional life, spending time with God is not just something I do to be a good Christian. No, it's the foundation of what Christianity is. Second word, connect. Connecting in community with other disciples. You see, out of the overflow of your relationship with Jesus, He desires us to be connected. I hope we say it like this. In large group, what we're doing this morning, and small group environments. We're to live out our relationship with God in fellowship. Are we supposed to do that because that's what we do to be a good Christian? No, it's who Jesus is. And to the degree that I'm allowing Jesus to live in me, here's what it looks like. Intimacy with God, connecting with other believers. If I have an issue in connecting with other believers, I've got an issue of Christ likeness in my life. Then that spills into the third word. We use the word share. Sharing in the mission. We say locally and globally. We're sharing in God's mission. The life of a Jesus follower, all about relationships with the Father, with one another, with the world. When we put it all together, it's a logo. We we use an icon that looks like this. It shows all three of these relationships, abide, connect, and share. And here's what I want you to hear me say today. This is our verbiage and the way we package it, but here's the spiritual principle. That is what God is at work in you. Accomplishing. That's the thing that Paul said, I'm confident of this. God is deepening your fellowship relationship with Him. I'm confident of this. God is connecting you with other believers to enjoy life and community together. And I'm confident of this. That God is at work in you to use you for His glory, to share in His mission in the city where you live and to the ends of the earth. That is what It looks like that's what God is doing in your life in 2014. And listen to me. That's what he's doing in 2015. If you see that, say amen. All right. Let's go back to the letter. Flip over one more page to Philippians chapter 3. And look what Paul writes here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, Or have already become perfect. Here's what Paul says. Hey, I know God's doing this. He's working this out in your life. Abide, connect, share. Relationship with the Father. Relationship with other believers. Relationship with the world. I know God's doing this in your life. God's doing this in my life. God's going to finish what he started. But here's what Paul said. I hadn't arrived. And listen to me. If Paul hadn't arrived, you and me hadn't either. We don't have this mastered yet. Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have become perfect. But look what he says. But I press on so that I may, listen to this, so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, By Christ. Paul said, I know this is what he's doing. This is why he laid hold of me. This is why he called me to himself. So Paul says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after that for which he went after me for, which is to conform me to the image of Jesus. Look at verse number 13. Paul says, brethren, I do do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, Reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I press on. He said, I'm not all the man yet that I'm supposed to be, but I know what God's doing in me. So here's what Paul says. I'm pressing on. That little phrase, press on, is a a Greek word that means to pursue with earnestness. It means to press hard after it. Then he says, I'm pressing on toward the goal. The word goal is a kind of a, a word that's borrowed from the field of athletics. It's the mark at the end of the race. When you're running the race, it's that thing that you've got your eyes set on, knowing if I can just get there. Paul says, man... I'm not all the man I'm supposed to be yet. I have not arrived. I don't have this mastered. But Paul said, I know why he's called me to himself. I know this is what he's doing in me. So with everything in me, I am going after it. I see the goal, and I'm pressing on. And he says, I'm pressing on toward the call. The word call, there's a word that's often translated invitation in the New Testament, and it's the idea that, God has invited us into this relationship. And here's what God desires to do so so let me let me kind of give you my paraphrase of what Paul said there in verse 14. Paul said with everything in me I am going after Christ in me. Could that be said of you today? With everything in me. I am going after Christ in me. The life he lived then. Being lived now. By him. In me. So so here's the big question I want you to wrestle with today. What does it look like? to press on in my relationship with Jesus in 2015. What does that look like? Now, here's where it's going to get a little bit different, all right? When you came in today in your seat, there was a card, and I want you to grab that card. It says 2015 at the top of it. It's got these verses from Philippians, and it's got that question. How am I pressing on in my relationship with Jesus? And what we're about to do is we're about to ask these questions ourselves of God and let God speak directly to us. Every week, it is my prayer that when you come here, you don't hear a man speak, but you hear God speak through a man. That's my prayer for you. But I'm telling you, this week, I have prayed and prayed and prayed. That you today would hear God like you've never heard God before. And so, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna remove the middleman for a moment. All right? I'm the middleman a lot of times that God is speaking through into our lives as a church. But I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm gonna set each of these questions up, and then I'm gonna give you a moment, a couple of minutes to sit and try to answer that question in your own, to let God speak to you. And I want you to use this card to begin writing down some thoughts. You won't finish the conversation today, but you can start it. And we've given you this as a tool so you can take it home, put it in your journal, put it in your Bible, and daily and weekly you can go back to what God said He wants to do in you in 2015 to help you press on in your relationship with Him. Now, here's the thing. It's going to look different for all of us. Your card's not going to look like your neighbor's, okay? Because here's the deal. We're all in the same process, but we're at different places in the process. So there's no right or wrong answer here, all right? Now, let me lead you through it by, by doing the first question, and then we'll get into it. What does it look like to press on in my relationship with Jesus in 2015 in abiding in Christ? If we start here, intimacy with the Father. What does it look like for me to press on in this area? And let me give you an example from from my life. This week as I was preparing this message on December 31st, New Year's Eve, that morning in my devotional time, I'm reading through the book of Psalms again, and I read Psalm 71. And there was a phrase that leapt off the page at me out of Psalm 71. It's the first phrase of verse 3. Look what it said. Be to me a rock of habitation." to which I may continually come. And here's what I wrote down in my journal. May your presence be the constant habitation of my life. May 2015 be a year like never before of abiding in your presence. And here's where God began to really specifically speak to me. It was in the area of journaling. You say, what does that mean? Well, When I was discipled by a guy named Clyde Cranford, one of the things he taught me was when somebody says something to you important, what do you do? You typically write it down, right? Well, he said, when you spend time with God and God speaks, write it down. Keep a journal with you and daily just journal the thoughts that God's speaking into your heart as God's speaking through His Word. And for years and years of my life, I did that really consistently. But here's what I noticed. Over the last couple of years, my life, like yours, has been invaded with this thing called social media, right? Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And here's what I noticed over the last couple of years. I've stopped journaling as much, and in, in the place of journaling, in my quiet time, I'm constantly posting a thought or something on Twitter or on Instagram, and I'm putting that out there. And here's the thought that God deeply convicted me with. I had become more concerned about speaking to others than simply allowing Him to speak to me. And so for me in 2015, what's going down on my card is this issue of journaling that for me to go deeper in my abiding relationship with the Father, God is doing some stuff in me in this area of journaling. So so here's what's about to happen. I'm about to give you two or three minutes. Teddy's going to come and join me up here, and Teddy's going to play softly. And I'm going to give you two or three minutes to hear God speak to you about how He wants you to go deeper in this area of abiding. I want you to hear from Him And I want you to write it down. And again, you may not finish this today, but you'll at least get the conversation started. And this week, you can continue this conversation. Let me give you some questions to kind of ponder as you think, what does it look like for me? Here's some questions. Do I spend time daily with Jesus? Am I hiding God's Word in my heart by memorizing and meditating on His Word? Have I publicly identified with Jesus through being baptized? Do I fellowship with Jesus throughout the day? Do I make decisions only after hearing God speak clearly? Maybe some of those will be helpful as you begin to think about it. Here's what I'm going to do I'm going to pray for God to speak to you, I'm going to give you two or three minutes. And I want you to just write down. Again, it's hitting a class participation time where everybody huddles up together. I want you, alone with God, to hear God speak. So let me pray for you. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Right now, would you speak? God, I beg you to speak to people right now. To show them areas where we can be confident you're going to do these things. And we can, like Paul, press on. Lord, speak intimately and clearly into the lives of these men and women and students all over this building today. And do it for your glory. In Jesus' name. You take two or three minutes to begin to write.
0: Just simply be with me and let those things go, cause they can wait another minute. stay
1: God speak just in that still small voice into your heart where you are where is God inviting you to go deeper and abiding with him here's my challenge to you today press on go after it with everything in you go after Christ in you so that's the first question here's the second question what does it look like to press on in my relationship with Jesus in 2015 and connecting in community you see although God designed our relationship with him to be personal it was never his design for it to be private listen to that God designed our relationship to be personal, but it was never His design for it to be private. One of the great tragedies of the American church is the emphasis that we place on individualism when it comes to faith. We make it all about your personal relationship with God. And listen to me, it is a personal relationship, but the New Testament knows nothing of Christianity without community. Some people think I can be a part of the church and I can listen to the sermons and I can sing the songs and that small group thing, connecting with other Christians, that's an optional program. Not if He's living His life through you, it's not. Because His fellowship with the Father spilled into connection with other believers. And if you're not connecting with other believers and doing life together in community, you're missing out on what it is to experience the life of Christ in and through you. Small groups and connection is not a program in our church that we do to earn merit with God. It's the life of Jesus being fleshed out in our lives as we connect with other believers to do life together. Think about this every book of the New Testament, past the Gospels, is written either to a community of believers or to affect life inside of the community of believers. You say, oh, I know one you hadn't thought of. You hadn't thought of Philemon. Well, have you read Philemon lately? It was written to one guy, but you know what the point of it was? To reconcile a relationship that was broken in the community in their local fellowship. That's what it was about. You say, what about 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus? Those were books written to individuals about how to carry out leadership in the context of Christian community. The New Testament knows nothing of a Christianity without community. So I want to give you a couple of minutes to think about this. My wife and I had this conversation this week. She's sitting right over here. So I'm not just preaching. I'm telling the truth, right? She's sitting right here. We had this conversation this week about how in our small group that we're a part of, how can we deepen the level of connection and community that we're experiencing in our group together? Why? Because it's what Christ is doing in me. I need to go after that. How do we do that this year? So I want to give you a couple minutes again and here's some questions to think about. Do I take seriously the priority of connecting with others in weekly worship? Is this something I do when I can or is it a priority in my life? Am I in a small group? Am I doing life with other believers? Should I be leading a small group? Is it time for me to get off the fence and begin to lead a group? Who am I discipling? Who am I pouring my life into? When I look back at 2014, who is more in love with Jesus in 2015 because I invested in them? How am I using my gifts to serve other people in this fellowship? Am I investing time weekly? to meet the needs of others or do I think the church just exists to meet my needs so I want to pray I'm going to give you a couple of minutes I want you to write down some ways that God may be speaking into your life about how you can press on and go deeper in 2015 in connecting with other believers Holy Spirit of God in the stillness of this moment would you speak into our lives Lord have your way. We beg you, God, to speak to us. Lord, if there's any issue in the American church where we miss it, it's on this issue. We think that connecting with others is a really, really, really good option, but that it's an option. And, Lord, your word teaches us something very different than that. So, God, right now, would you speak? In Jesus' name. Take a couple of minutes. Write down those thoughts. He's speaking into your life right now. One more question. It's about sharing in the mission. What does it look like in 2015 to press on in my relationship with Jesus when it comes to sharing in the mission? You see, mission is not what we do as a follower of Jesus. Mission is why God brought us into the family. We have, a, a, I think, a big misunderstanding about this idea of mission. We think that mission is reserved for the, if you will, Navy SEALs of the church. That the vast majority of us are kind of on the sidelines praying for those that are out there carrying on the mission. But here's what we learn about this principle. Mission is simply Jesus in us. And to the degree that I'm allowing Christ to live his life in me, guess what it looks like? It looks like engaging people that don't know Jesus at all in my city and around the world for his glory. Mission is not reserved for the select few. Every one of us, the moment you were born again into relationship with God, guess what? You got in on the mission. And God wants through you to use you in our city and around the world. My wife and I, every year, when the new year begins, we, we talk about and pray about and look at how we're going to engage in the mission. And really for us, this conversation revolves around, as I thought about it, really two words. The first word is the word giving. One of the ways that all of us can engage in the mission is through the vehicle of generosity. As we give, we're giving not to a church, but through a church. And let me just say this, as a pastor here at Hope, the founding pastor here at Hope, it gives us incredible joy every week to get to join with you in giving through this fellowship and living generously. Because we believe in what God is accomplishing through this fellowship. So every year, we'll do it here very soon. We sit down and we talk about our budget for the next year and we say, what are we going to give this year? And we make that decision up front. We seek first the kingdom and we started this years ago, praying through that whole 10% thing. And through the years, God's grown us way past that. We now give well past 10% thinking we could have never given like we give. And yet, guess what? You can't out-give God. You can't out-give Him. And every year we pray, Lord, what's the increase this year? A second way that we pray about this area, and we talk about this area, is with the area of what I would call either going or engaging. Every year we talk about how we can best use our family and our platform in our neighborhood and how we can engage in our city, but also who in our family this year is going to go. Where are we going to be involved? My wife and I decided years ago that before our kids finished junior high, we wanted all of our children to go on a cross-cultural overseas mission experience because we we wanted God to grab their heart. We wanted them to see God's activity from another perspective. Three of our kids are out of junior high. They're in high school and college, and they've all done that. We have one more that's finishing up elementary school this year, moving into junior high, and we're having the conversation right now. Is this the year that she and maybe my wife together go and engage in a cross-cultural mission experience because God's birthed us into His kingdom to get in on the mission locally and globally? How are we using our platform? So those are two areas that I want you to think about, giving and going or engaging. And here's some questions that I want you to kind of think about these questions as we, as we start to answer this question. Have I shared my story with anyone in 2014? Pastor Tom last week preached a phenomenal message about using your personal story to share the gospel with other people. Have you shared your story? Can you look back on an entire year and there's not one time that you've personally opened your mouth and shared the gospel with somebody else? Where have you engaged in God's mission in our city? Where are you planning to go globally to join in God's mission? Am I investing at least 10% of my income in God's mission through a local church? Do I have a list of lost people, people that don't know Jesus that I pray for on a regular basis. How are you sharing in the mission? And what's God saying to you about how 2015 you can press on? Take a couple of minutes. Answer that question. God, right now in this last question, would you speak to us? Have your way in this moment. Open our eyes. Give us ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
0: empty, now I am available to you.
1: I told you today was going to be a little bit different, but I hope you've heard God speak to you today. Typically, at this time in our service, we all stand and we sing a song of response. We're not going to do that today. I'm about to let you go in just a moment. But here's your response today. What he said. Let that be the beginning of a conversation this week that you have with the Lord. Put this in a place, your Bible, your journal. Where you can go back to it throughout this year and let God do, listen, what He said He would do take you deeper in abiding, connecting, sharing. Before I let you go, let me give you some closing thoughts out of these verses that I read for you. Here's the first one Press on in humility. You heard what Paul said, right? I hadn't arrived yet. None of us have. And what we're talking about on this card is not what we're going to do. What we're talking about on this card is what we're going to allow Christ in us to accomplish through us. So press on in humility. But secondly, press on in confidence. Paul said, I know this is what he's doing. He's going to finish what he started. You can know. God's doing this in your life. So in humility and dependence on him, but in confidence that he's going to finish. Number three, press on daily. This phrase, press on, is that present active. It's an ongoing, continuous, moment by moment. And Paul said, hey, there are going to be some failures along the way, but you forget what lies behind and you reach forward to what lies ahead and you press on. You just press on. Don't let the failures define you or distract you. Don't let past victories define Forget what lies behind. Paul said, I know what lies ahead. I'm pressing on. It's daily. And here's the fourth. Press on passionately. Paul says, reaching forward. That phrase, reaching forward, is again one of those athletic terms about running a race. and I'll close with this quote by William Barclay. Listen to what he said. It describes him with his eyes for nothing but the goal. It describes him with arms almost clawing at the air, with head forward and with the body bent and angled towards the goal. It describes the man who is going, as we might put it, flat out for the finish let that be us in 2015 may we press on in abiding connecting sharing